Hey guys, Amanda here. Before we get started, I want to take a moment to tell you about apartment life. Did you know that 95% of people living in apartments aren't connected to a local church? Our friends at Apartment Life bring believers into apartment communities to host events and care for fellow residents in times of need. Those experiences can open the door to meet people right where they are with the hope of the gospel, even in a pandemic. Apartment Life has connected more than 65,000 residents with a local church over the last 20 years. If you're passionate about loving your neighbors, visit apartmentlife.org slash she reads truth for all the details. Okay, let's get to the show. Hello and welcome to the She Reads Truth podcast, where we open our Bibles and talk about the beauty, goodness, and truth we find there. I'm your host, Rachel Myers. And I'm your other host, Amanda Bible Williams. And today we are joined by our friend Jen Wilkin. Jen is an author. She's a Bible teacher. She is a biblical literacy advocate, and we love that about her. She loves to see other men and women reading scripture and understanding what they believe and why they believe it. She has a book coming out in March, just a lighthearted book on the Ten Commandments. Just kidding. (laughs) I don't know if it's lighthearted, but it's going to be a delight. It's called Ten Words to Live By, Delighting in and Doing What God Commands. That sounds awesome. And we just think the world of Jen really were encouraged and convicted and encouraged by this conversation. She was the right guest for this episode. She was. I'm really glad. She doubted it, but we knew. We yeah. knew. Yeah. All right, let's go. So, Jen, we only give our most favorite guests the really easy assignments, like <laughs> Daniel's chapters four through seven. <laughs> When I saw what we were going to talk about, I was like, okay, this is either really (laughs) flattering or really passive aggressive. (laughs) Is this a setup? Come here, Jen. Let's talk about Daniel. Thinking back to the last time we saw each other, what did I do? (laughs) I must have made them very angry. Yeah. Yeah. You were very kind to say yes to this. And there's so much of this that is so delightful. I know we're laughing about like, there's some tough passages. There's also so much here that is... It's just wonderful. Some of the best stories. Some of the best narratives in the Old Testament. Yeah. Yeah. And really important stories, too. Yeah. But they're really intimidating, too. So I was actually really excited we were going to get to talk about this stuff because I think this is probably one of the hardest books of the Bible for people to read. So I think it'll be a good discussion. I was literally talking to somebody last weekend, and I was— talking about like where I like to read in scripture. And she said, my favorite book of the Bible is Daniel. And I like pressed her on it. I was like, really? And I was like, <laughs> Are you sure? like one through six or like the whole thing. She was like, oh, I guess, I guess really like one through six. Yeah, <laughs> like, there it okay. is. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, but it's all, I'm sorry to press you. A thing that we say often here at She Reads Truth is that All of the Bible is God's word, and it Mm -hmm. is true, and it all points to Jesus, right? So even the parts that are hard to understand Mm -hmm. or just tough to read, it's good news Mm -hmm. because it's part of the redemption story, Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. it's important. Yeah. We sometimes send out a little survey to our guests in advance of recording, and one of the things that you said in there in your response to us was that you love to read the Bible looking for times where you see God high and lifted up. Mm-hmm. And I mean, like you said, the book of Daniel, my goodness, it's so fascinating because there are a couple of kings, there's a handful of kings in one kingdom, and it all just pales 
in -hmm. comparison to the King of Kings. Like he is so high and lifted up. All the while, these kings, like we've got Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar, we've got Darius, Cyrus, like they're working so hard. They are so proud of themselves and what they have accomplished. They're so proud of them. Mm -hmm, Um, And the theme that we're seeing in Daniel is that there are two kingdoms and one is high and lifted up above all the others. Mm -hmm. And that's what I love about, like, especially this week's reading. I was going to say, to be fair, since that is my favorite thing, you guys did actually give me a really great portion to talk about because we get to talk about that a lot. It's true. All right. Well, let's start in Daniel chapter four, which is day eight of our book and day one of this week's reading. We have just kind of rolled out of Daniel chapter three, where Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, their names are a mouthful. And I also don't like to call them by their Babylonian names, but I don't know their Jewish names well enough. So anyway, whatever. (laughs) The guys were delivered from the fire. And that's Mm -hmm. literally what has just happened. Like Nebuchadnezzar has just made his big like, okay. You know, he's just swinging like a pendulum. Yes. And he's back. We've <laughs> got then, him back. And then we get Daniel chapter four, which at first reading is a real puzzler because you see this declaration of God. You see this declaration of Nebuchadnezzar's belief in God, but then goes right into a warning. And I had to like reread it a couple of times to go like, oh, I see this whole kind of chapter four of Daniel. It's like a whole rewind, fast forward kind of a storyline. So it took me a minute to orient myself in this one. Yeah, he kind of starts with the punchline and then he tells you how he got there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And he comes back around. I felt so proud of him, speaking of pride. (laughs) But (laughs) when you're like reading this and you're like, oh, this is the same guy. Yeah. And this is, and now listen to him. So starting in verse one, King Nebuchadnezzar, to those of every people, nation, and language who live on the whole earth, because of course, He's addressing everyone because everyone should be listening to him, right? He's Nebuchadnezzar. (laughs) May your prosperity increase. I am pleased to tell you about the miracles and wonders the Most High God, capital M-H-G, the Most High God has done for me. How great are his miracles and how mighty his wonders. And then this line right here, his kingdom is an eternal kingdom and his dominion is from generation to generation. And I just thought like, attaboy, Nebuchadnezzar. You know what's surprised? I you have Neb exclamation point written in your book, <laughs> as do I. Literal <gasps> Neb exclamation point. We're sisters. We're best friends. But here's the thing: we know that verse. Like it is the thematic verse of the book of Daniel. It's what's happening in Daniel, right? Mm-hmm. And somehow I've forgotten that Nebuchadnezzar gives us that line. Like it's not Daniel saying it. I don't know. It's just fascinating to me. It reminded me a little of how we see in Joshua, when the spies come to Rahab, and Rahab is the one yes. who proclaims yeah. the truth of who God is. You know, and I think it's Your funny God. the Bible does that. Yes. Yeah, it keeps showing us a lot of times how the most faithful declarations of who God is are sometimes found on the lips of those who were his enemies. So it's pretty I cool. I mean, praise hands on that. And mm-hmm. it's interesting to me how it isn't subtle. Like with Rahab, it was like, Your Lord, He is God of the heavens above and the earth beneath. Mm-hmm. And I mean, she just says it. And I mean, Mm -hmm. and this is what he does to his kingdom. And coming from Nebuchadnezzar, this is a big statement, Mm -hmm. as we will see. Something is happening Mm -hmm. (laughs) spiritually Mm -hmm. in Nebuchadnezzar because this is not a man who would be quick to say, oh, yeah, my kingdom's not the greatest. Yeah. And he struggles. He struggles with that. So that's like you were saying, he kind of like leads with the Mm punchline. But then we get the story. 
We get we have okay. to figure out how he got there. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. actually kind of a great setup because if you just come out of the last story, you're like, this guy's got a ways to go. Yeah. 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 Okay. So what happens here is he goes from that beautiful proclamation in verse three to like, here's the story. Like I had this dream and here's what happened in the dream. And as opposed to an earlier dream in Daniel where he's like, hey, Daniel or whoever, you have to tell me what my dream was and what it means. In this case, he actually describes the dream himself, which is different, which is new. And I actually think that there's part of the dream that, at least part of it, if not all of it, let's read it so that our listeners can kind of get the context for what we're talking about so that as we talk about it, they can kind of know what we're looking at. Jen, would you read that for us? Yeah, I would love to. So I'm in verse 10. In the visions of my mind, as I was lying in bed, I saw this. There was a tree in the middle of the earth, and it was very tall. So anyone in the original audience listening to this is going to be like, oh, hang on. Trees in the middle of the earth, very tall. This sounds like other things I've heard. Mm-hmm. Uh, that he says in verse 11, the tree grew large and strong. Its top reached to the sky. We're in the CSB. If you were looking at this in the ESV or some other translations, it would say something a little different. It would say its top reached to the heavens. Okay. It's a real Babel situation. That's right. We're going to see a big parallel to Babel. And there's a wordplay going on with heaven and heavens that's kind of throughout the story. So verse 11, the tree grew large and strong, its top reached to the heavens, and it was visible to the ends of the earth. Its leaves were beautiful, its fruit was abundant, and on it was food for all. So actually, you guys know, like the other place you see a picture like this is in Revelation, you know, with Mm -hmm. the new heavens and the new earth. There's this tree with the fruit and the 12 kinds of fruit that bear their fruit in season. So then he says, wild animals found shelter under it. The birds of the sky or the heavens lived in its branches and every creature was fed from it. And then he says, as I was lying in my bed, I also saw in the visions of my mind, a watcher, a holy one coming down from, there's that word again, heaven. Mm -hmm. He called out loudly, cut down the tree and chop off its branches, strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the animals flee from under it and the birds from its branches, but leave the stump with its roots in the ground with a band of iron and bronze around it in the tender grass of the field. Let him be drenched with the dew from the sky and share the plants of the earth with the animals. And of course, sky there again, heavens. Mm -hmm. Let his mind be changed from that of a human and let him be given the mind of an animal for seven periods of time. This word is by decree of the watchers and the decision is by command from the holy ones. This is so that the living will know that the most high is ruler over human kingdoms. He gives them to anyone he wants and sets the lowliest of people over them. So yeah, this really typical image of a tree to represent a kingdom and a tree that fills the earth. And so Nebuchadnezzar is stumped, as we're going to find out. Daniel has zero trouble figuring out what's going on. Oh, stumped was a little play on words. Did you guys like that? I wondered if that was (laughs) intentional. I see what you did there. That was totally unconscious. And what's interesting this time is instead of... Like, no one can interpret this for me, but you can, Daniel, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because you have a spirit of the holy gods. And also, you've done this before. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I've seen you do this before. And so it's interesting, though, that Daniel, in verse 19, it says that Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, was stunned for a moment and his thoughts alarmed him. And the king comforts (laughs) him. The king says... Don't, don't let the dream or its interpretation alarm you. And well, he's like, well, wait, sit down. <laughs> Have a seat. Let's yeah. talk. Let's talk. But it's really 
Beautiful. Like there's significance to, it's not that the tree is just chopped down, but the stump is left with its roots in the ground. Mm -hmm. So there's some hope there. Mm -hmm. There's something, it's not completely destroyed. And it's interesting that Daniel's response to the king comforting him is, my Lord, may the dream apply to those who hate you and its interpretation to your enemies. Like he's just going like, Let's hope this isn't about you. Let's soften the blow a little. Let's soften the blow. And then he (laughs) says, The tree you saw, which grew large and strong, whose top reached into the sky, was visible to the whole earth, and whose leaves were beautiful, and its fruit abundant, and on it fruit for all. Under the wild animals lived, and its branches the birds of the sky lived. That tree is you, your majesty, for you have become great and strong. Your greatness has grown and even reaches the sky. And your dominion, that key word in Daniel, your dominion Mm -hmm. extends to the ends of the earth. The king saw a watcher, a holy one coming down from heaven and saying, cut down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump with its roots in the ground and with a band of iron and bronze around it in the tender grass of the field. Let him be drenched with dew from the sky We think about other dew from the sky, like manna for the Mm -hmm. Israelites, Mm -hmm. and share food with the wild animals for seven periods of time. This is the interpretation, Your Majesty, and this is the decree of the Most High, that you have been issued against my Lord, the King. You will be driven away from people to live with the wild animals. You will feed on grass like cattle and be drenched with dew from the sky for seven periods of time until you acknowledge that the Most High is ruler over human kingdoms, and he gives them to anyone he wants. And I love this next sentence. As for the commands to leave the tree's stump with its roots, your kingdom will be restored to you as soon as you acknowledge that heaven rules. And Jen, there's that heaven again. Mm -hmm. In this case, it's the first occurrence in the Old Testament where the word heaven is used for God rather Mm -hmm. than heaven the place rules, Mm -hmm. but that heaven God rules. Well, and it's interesting because we've already seen that structure set up in the passage because the tree is not referred to as Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom. It's referred to as Nebuchadnezzar. And so there's this representative idea. Yeah. Yeah. So you're seeing like Nebuchadnezzar, you represent the kingdom of earth. And now you're going to find out that the most high God, he is the kingdom of heaven. So it's this really good setup of sort of like the name of the ruler being representative of the entire kingdom. I like that Nebuchadnezzar set up this whole he gets chapter four to tell mm-hmm. the story. Like we could credit him to have written some of the Old Testament. He sets it up the way that he wants to tell the story. And I like that he, I mean, I don't know if I like this, but it feels like Nebuchadnezzar that he would be like, just to be clear, it all worked out in the end. I just want to <laughs> like, if anybody gets worried in the middle, I need you to know from the beginning that like, I'm good. Everything's fine. It's like a TV drama where you see like the cold open as a, you know, a three years later. Yeah. But then you Mm -hmm. like back up and you're like, Mm -hmm. now here's how we got here. Mm -hmm. I'm interested in the dew from the sky and how, you know, clearly there's some kind of a punishment, a disciplining, a, you know, happening with Nebuchadnezzar. I mean, he's in verse 25, you will be driven away from people to live with the wild animals. Mm -hmm. And then later, I mean, that happens. Right. It says, you know, as soon. So this is some kind of disciplinary action, right? He's going to be sent out with the wild animals. And sure enough, like we watch it happen. 
mm-hmm. um, because <laughs> twelve months later, there he right. goes. And in listening to him, here he yeah. is at the end of twelve months, and this is in verse thirty. The king exclaimed, "Is this not Babylon the Great that I have built to be a royal residence by my vast power and for my majestic glory?" And then the timing. I love it when Scripture points out how specific yeah. the timing is, because verse thirty-one. While the words were still in the king's mouth, a voice came from heaven. King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is declared that the kingdom has departed from you. You will be driven away. And then in 33, at that moment, yeah. the message against Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled, and he was driven away. And then like gross things like that his hair grew like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird's claws. Yeah, I didn't really need that image, but there it is. I just wrote, ew. Ew. <laughs> yeah. But while he's out there... He is, it says more than once. I mean, we've read it now. It'll be three times. He ate grass like cattle and his body was drenched with dew from the sky. And I don't know if I'm reading this into this, but yes, I do like the connection to manna and that there is God's compassion is not absent from this image of Nebuchadnezzar. That the Nebuchadnezzar. dew is not like this added layer of shame or punishment. It feels like nourishment to me. It Maybe brought, provision. Yeah. It reminded me of, you know, a passage in Second Corinthians that we especially like to talk about, you know, around like in the Lenten season, (laughs) that godly grief leads to repentance. And it feels like the Lord is just like wooing him in in the only way that you can woo Nebuchadnezzar, (laughs) Mm -hmm. because he's so prideful. And yeah. Yeah. And I think also, you know, if you think about the opening line in verse four, when he starts telling the story, he says, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and flourishing in my palace. And so then you get this repetition of, guess what? Now you're outside and the dew is on you. And so I do think you're seeing two ideas. There's the idea of, hey, he's going to be completely removed from his previous setting. He's exposed to the elements. But then the way that the elements are described is like a washing. It's almost like a ceremonial washing. Yeah. I like that. Yes. Jen, I'm just like believing that you know something that I don't. You know many (laughs) things that I don't know. Do you have any insight about the eagle's feathers and the talons? Like, do you have any insight? Like, does that, you were drawing such good connections along the way. And I wondered, is there a connection here that I'm missing? I think that probably what we're supposed to take from it is simply this is to anyone who has had experience, firsthand experience of mental illness with someone they love. This is what a person looks like when they have a complete break. Yeah. Yeah. I've had a family member go through this, and I remember reading this the first time and remembering how that person lost all concern for care of hygiene, and that person's nails grew long because they were actually afraid to cut them. You know, there were all of these things associated. And so when I read this, I immediately thought, this is a timeless, recognizable way to describe what happens when a person is, quote, out of his mind, which is what we're being, you know, we're being shown here. And I think it is actually supposed to inspire compassion. You know, like we read and we think, oh my goodness, look how far he has fallen. And the the fact that an eagle would be associated with power, and yet in this case, it's the symbol of his powerlessness. Wow. I mean, that's really... Complete reframing. I love... Mm, Thank you for that. And then we get to the next section heading is Nebuchadnezzar's praise. Mm -hmm. We get to the point at the end of those days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, looked up to heaven and my sanity returned to me. 
Then I praised the Most High and honored and glorified him who lives. And then we get that same phrase or that same line, for his dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom is from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are counted as nothing. And he does what he wants with the army of heaven and the inhabitants of the earth. There is no one who can block his hand or say to him, what have you done? This whole chapter is this picture of pride and humility and this like dark contrast, even like you were Mm -hmm. saying with an eagle who, which is typically used to represent power and in this Mm -hmm. case, weakness. Yeah. I mean, look at verse 37. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise, exalt, and glorify the king of the heavens because all his works are true and his ways are just. He is able to humble those who walk in pride. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You can hear that nice repetition of heaven, heaven, heaven over and over again. And in verse 34, there's a phrase that anyone who spends time in Old Testament narratives will catch. It's that at the end of those days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, looked up to heaven. And if you look at another translation, it says, lifted my eyes. And so that's that thing that you see again and again. It's that lift up your eyes, behold your king. And then we see it in the New Testament too. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. I love the connection where it says, he lifted his eyes and his sanity returned to him. Because I think elsewhere in the scripture, we see the same thing, that it's not just unwise to take your eyes off of the true king. It is an act of complete irrationality, um, that the only place of rational belonging is to fix our eyes on the true king. Amen. Into Daniel chapter 5, we get this moment where all of a sudden there's a new king. Mm-hmm. Just like, we're like we, we just page. started liking that last and guy. We were like, he wait, go? he was doing so well. What happened? <laughs> and so I actually dug into this a little bit. I guess like scholars best guess is that Belshazzar is maybe the son of Nebuchadnezzar's daughter. Is that right? He'd be like a grandson mm-hmm. to, because it's not like a he was a son of. It was something where like a man married into Nebuchadnezzar's family and kind of took rightful, not ownership, but rights to the throne. And then his son, Belshazzar, is the king. And he is such a flash in the pan. It doesn't last long. Like we get his one very like famous story and then like bye-bye. It's a good story. Yeah. I could see it on your face. Do we just keep reading? I know. Here's the thing about (laughs) the book of Daniel. We could summarize this You were right. The narrative in the book of Daniel is these are great stories. Really good stories. The felt board just really populates It really shines here. Uh It really shines. Yeah. This is a good example, too, of how the Bible has had an enormous effect on the way that we think and speak and talk. You know, we use this phrase all the time, man, the writing is on the wall. Yep. And if you start paying attention as you're going through the Bible, you'll find there are all kinds of places where it has crept into our speech. Yeah, this is one of the most famous ones. Yeah. So the writing is on the wall, team. So King Belshazzar starts his little story being what some might call aggressively blasphemous. He's having a party, and he's got all of his best people there, and they think, like, here's a good idea. Let's take the cups from the Lord's temple mm-hmm. that we've stolen, and let's use those as our goblets for our party. Cool. Aggressively What could go wrong? Yeah. yeah. What could go yeah. wrong? And so why are we surprised when— And in verse 5, we get another, at that moment. Yeah. So literally, so verse 4 says, they drank the wine and praised their lowercase g gods— made of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. In verse 5, at that moment, the fingers of a man's hand. Just imagine this. I can't. It just blows my mind. The fingers of a man's hand appeared and began writing on the plaster of the king's palace wall next to the lampstand. 
As the king watched, the hand that was writing his face turned pale, I guess so. Mm -hmm. And his thoughts so terrified him that he soiled himself and his knees knocked together. Yeah. I mean, this is not good. They didn't put that on the felt board, did they? No. No, he soiled himself. I don't remember that part when I was in elementary school. Mm -hmm. The king shouted to bring in the mediums. I love how quickly they're like, somebody come. Somebody come make sense of this. Tell me what's happening. Bring in the mediums, the Chaldeans and the diviners. He said to the wise men of Babylon, whoever can read, of course, and then we get, you know, again, it's like, Classic. Whoever can interpret this, I'm going to give him the moon. Yeah. But I noticed that it was like, you don't get second command, you get third in command. I don't know what that's about, but like, like he's still a little reserved and like, I need help, but not that much help. Yeah. So whoever can do this, he will be clothed in purple. He will have a gold chain around his neck and he will have the third highest <laughs> position in the kingdom. And so here they come and we know what's going to happen. And so what happens is the queen mother comes. This is Nebuchadnezzar. This is likely Nebuchadnezzar's daughter. And this is why she's able to come in in verse 10 and have some memory of something similar oh, taking yeah. place. I know the guy you need. Oh, His you, name is Daniel. you don't know him, but I remember from a long time ago. He's an old man now, right? I mean... Is this a right around when he's in his 80s? We've done the like the timeline of his life, and I think that he is possibly in his 80s at this point. So she comes in and it says, because of the outcry of the king and his nobles, the queen came to the banquet hall. May the king live forever. She said, don't let your thoughts terrify you or your face be pale. There is a man in your kingdom who has a spirit of the holy gods in him. In the days of your predecessor, which I guess I'm not allowed to mention his name, my dad, he was found to have insight, intelligence, and wisdom like the wisdom of the gods. Your predecessor, King Nebuchadnezzar, appointed him chief of the magicians, mediums, Chaldeans, and diviners. Your own predecessor, the king, did this because Daniel, the one the king named Belteshazzar, was found to have an extraordinary spirit, knowledge and intelligence, and the ability to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve problems. Therefore, summon Daniel, and he will give the interpretation. It feels very joseph doesn't it? It does. Yeah. Except that he's not currently in jail, so... Yeah. He's doing his thing. We don't know exactly mm-hmm. what he's doing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. His reputation he, still precedes him, even though there's been a change of power. And he sounds like he wasn't on the radar until now. Yeah. yeah. I checked. He was about 80 years old at this point. Mm-hmm. So this is way past the, like, let me tell you your dreams mm-hmm. stage. Because he was a young man. He was around 18 point. years old when we really get to meet him. <laughs> mm-hmm. And you can see... His age a little bit in his response, because at one point, let's see, in verse 17, he's like, you can keep your gifts, but here you go. (laughs) I mean, like, I don't, I don't care. Um, And he, and he does, he interprets it. And what, Jen, can we get a consensus on how to pronounce? Is it, I've always said many, many tickle person. Oh, I I actually found this out. Well, I listened to it like on my audio of Mm -hmm. the Bible and it was meeny, meeny tea cow parson. Tea cow. I think we all can say that. We I all like just to sort of make up these pronunciations <laughs> as we go. I think it's so commonly heard in English, you know, that I always hear many, many tekel a parson, like yeah, all in sure. one big long sure. stretch. So just all I don't think anyone language. will, hopefully, no one will shame us for saying it one way or the other. Yeah. And so he makes this statement God makes this statement. Many means that God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. Now, note that that's said twice. So mm-hmm. it's not many tekel a parson, it's many, many. So this is over is basically mm-hmm. what mm-hmm. Is, yeah. is being written on the wall. And then tekel means that you have been weighed on the balance and found deficient. Well, that's not really something anyone wants to hear. No. He's basically getting a job review in four yeah. words, and it's not good. 
And then that Parson or Paris is a way of saying in the Persians, the Medes and the Persians are going to be the ones who will take over your kingdom. Kingdom's going to be divided. What's interesting to me is he receives this interpretation and he still tries to elevate him. So it sounds like Belshazzar's like, great job interpreting. Let's see if I can make this not happen by blessing you. Yeah, (laughs) please take your prizes. But of course, the word of the Lord comes to pass immediately. Verse 30. Immediately. Mm -hmm. That very Mm -hmm. night, the king of the Chaldeans was killed, and Darius the Mede received the kingdom at the age of 62. So this is Mm -hmm. king number three Mm -hmm. for the book of Daniel. And Daniel... Before he even gives that interpretation, he kind of gives the application, (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. where he says, essentially, in, you know, around verse 22, he's like, you saw what happened to Nebuchadnezzar, Mm -hmm. and yet you have not humbled your heart, even though you know all of this. Mm -hmm. Instead, you've exalted yourself against the Lord of the heavens. And And then he says, the vessels from his house were brought to you, and... As you and your nobles, your wives and your concubines drank wine from them, you praised the gods made of silver and gold. Like, he's just like, dude. Yeah, you praised your idols, basically, which do not see or hear or understand. Mm -hmm. Your idols are worthless, and here you are praising them and using these objects to do so. But you have not glorified the God who holds your life breath in his hand and who controls the whole course Mm -hmm. of your life. So yeah, here's your interpretation. (laughs) So there's an interesting, I think there's an interesting New Testament allusion to this. And there's a lot of debate about how close the allusion can be made. But if you think about what's happening in the story here, you have someone who has taken the sacred things of God and misused them, right? And then comes under judgment and is told, the kingdom is going to be taken from you. The things that should have been used to worship the Most High God have actually been used in the form of a desecration. And then the kingdom is taken from those who are in power and given to someone else. Then you fast forward to the Gospel of John, right? And you see Jesus is dealing with the Jews who have taken the law, the things of God, these sacred things, and used them as a desecration. They've used them, he's going to say, to shut people out of the kingdom of heaven. And then there's this interesting scene in John chapter 8, where what does he do? A woman is caught in adultery, and it says that he scoops down, and it says specifically, he writes with his finger— Mm-hmm. in the dust. And it doesn't say what he wrote, and I think that's on purpose. I always wanted to know. I know. We all want to know. Mm-hmm. Now, did he write many, many Tekla Parson? I don't know, but I think that we're supposed to echo back to this story and say, oh my goodness, this is what's happening. The Jews, you know, we know that the gospel comes first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. And it's through the ministry of Jesus that we see this gap begin to widen. And he begins to say over and over again, you had your shot and you blew it. And now the kingdom is going to go forward through the Gentiles. And I think there's an intentional allusion in that story to this story. So I don't know what he actually wrote, but I think the way that it's stated is is saying, hey, remember that. And that's why I love like spending time in these particular passages is because it helps us be better readers of the New Testament. Yeah. Man, I had never drawn that connection before, but that's really interesting. Yeah, it is. And it... I love this first John passage that's paired with this day's reading. It's first John two, fifteen through seventeen. Do not love the world or the things in this world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride in one's possessions is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world with its lust is passing away. 
but the one who does the will of God remains forever. You know, that's the thing about lust is like the object is always something fleeting. Mm -hmm. Like it's never something that satisfies, that lasts. And it's easy for me to read (laughs) this story and be amused at the audacity of this king. But, you know, really what he's doing is he is acting out the pride that I know in my Mm -hmm. own heart. And like you said a few moments ago, that to know something to the effect of like to know the God and not worship him is crazy talk. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, like, and, mm-hmm. and that's what Daniel has seen the Lord in action. And so the confidence with which he speaks, he's like, I don't need your gifts. Here's what this means. And he doesn't pull any punches. He's very direct. And I just think of like the confidence. I mean, he's now lived in a land of exile for 65 years and he has learned how to follow God and be faithful to God in a land that worships silver and gold. And I just think the application is pretty easy to draw (laughs) Mm -hmm. in my own life of like, what are the things that I'm holding up? The things that, you know, as Daniel put it, don't see or hear or understand, you know, Mm -hmm. the idols that are just powerless and empty. When I know I've seen the hand of God Mm -hmm. and I know who he is. And he holds your life breath. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And just, you know, and so thankful for the gospel and thankful for Jesus that, yes, Tekel, I have been weighed on the balance and I have been found lacking. Yeah. But there's one who who weighed and is not lacking. Yeah. Amen. And the Tekel is every one of us. Every one of us. Mm -hmm. But God. I mean, but God. Hey friends, Amanda here. We want to take a quick break to tell you about Wycliffe Bible Translators. Being able to understand the Bible in our own language is so important to anchor us in our God-given value. But millions of women around the world still don't have that ability. Wycliffe Bible Translators advances the work of Bible translation for men and women around the world, and we love the work they're doing. When our roots grow deep in Scripture, that's where we discover true security, true identity, and true hope. And when we really discover who we are in Christ through God's Word, we're better equipped to reach others in our communities, families, and even people around the world with the power of Scripture. Wycliffe Bible Translators now has a ministry for women that gives you opportunities to help other women around the world get access to God's Word through Bible translation and literacy projects. You'll also find resources and community to encourage you in your own walk with Jesus. Visit Wycliffe.org truth today to find out more. Okay, back to the show. And then we get to, it's Daniel in the lion's den. I mean, here we are, felt board party with <laughs> Jen Wilkins. Guys, yeah. you did it. We all did it. We got to, to chapter six. We know he's old. We don't know exactly how old, but in his 80s, maybe more. And here is Daniel now with King Darius, who took the place overnight, literally took the place. <laughs> Darius the Mede. Yes. Took the place of the guy, man, I'm sorry, I don't remember his name, Belshazzar. It's a lot like Daniel's. Belteshazzar. It's right. very unfair. It's, thank yes. you for the, the understanding. Mm-hmm. So we have Darius, and he's kind of a good guy. Like, he doesn't want to make the mistakes that the guys before him made. Like, good well, job I, learning from history. Think about how he got the throne. How did you get the throne? Mm-hmm. Yikes. I don't want any tackles in my kingdom, and I'm probably mm-hmm. not going to touch the temple belongings. Like, I'm not mm-hmm. going there. Good. But even in his old age, 
6.3 tells us Daniel distinguished himself above the administrators and satraps. So what happened is Belshazzar gave him what he promised, like you will be third in command. And when Darius took over the kingdom, he allowed Daniel to continue in leadership in the kingdom. And of course, he does the thing that Daniel does well, which is distinguishing himself above the other people. He had an extraordinary spirit. So the king planned to set him over the whole realm. The administrators, satraps, therefore kept trying to find a charge against Daniel regarding the kingdom, but they could find no charge of corruption for he was trustworthy and no negligence or corruption was found in him. Real frustrating. Yeah. They were real mad. Well, and they did the one thing. They're like, what's the one thing we can do to get him? Mm -hmm. What's the one trap he will Mm -hmm. step into? What is the one thing he can be counted on to do? Pray to his God. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I want people to say that about me. Right. What's the one guaranteed way I can trap Rachel? Tell her she can't pray. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So they go to the king, and the short of it is they talk the king into establishing an ordinance that, that cannot be revoked. And the king's mm-hmm. like, okay, cool. Yeah. Like, I can't see a mm-hmm. problem with this. And like, I understand that what I say, even I can't revoke. Mm-hmm. That's fine. And they're delighted. And it says that, and this is verse seven, anyone who petitions any God or man except you, the king, will be thrown into the lion's den. Great. I'll sign it. Mm-hmm. Feels like a good idea. <laughs> that seems like <laughs> a good idea. I love it. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, Daniel learned that the document had been signed. And so he went to his house, the windows in the upstairs room opened toward Jerusalem, and three times a day he got down on his knees, prayed, and gave thanks to his God, just as he had done before. Mm -hmm. It wasn't like, okay, well, now I'm going to start praying just to prove you guys wrong. It was just as he had done before. So, I mean, are you thinking of when Jesus, how does the New Testament put it? Set his face. Set his face like Flint. I have that written right here. Yes. Best friends. Yeah, toward (laughs) Jerusalem, and he knew what was coming. Like, this is a determination. Mm -hmm. And Daniel, like, he knows what's coming. Mm-hmm. He's one he of my, Daniel of is one of my favorite like foreshadowings of Christ, like yeah. in so many ways. And I'm okay. glad that you said that because that's what he is. Yeah. Let's do it. Let's talk about it. I mean, tell so, us everything. Okay. Yeah, I'll tell you everything. Um, <laughs> now I'll try to hit some of it. But in verse three, we see, and we've already said this elsewhere, that he has an extraordinary spirit. So we, yeah. we perk up our ears because we know that that's a kind of language that would be used of Christ. Also, that the king planned to set him over the whole realm. Okay, so this is someone who's going to ascend to the right hand of Mm -hmm. the king, basically. Mm -hmm. The administrators keep trying to find a charge against him regarding the kingdom. Okay, that sounds a lot like what happens to Jesus. And they're going to try to entrap him using the law. And then he's going to be accused before basically the realm of his day, right? Mm -hmm. And he's going to stand trial. But what is his method? He is consistent in his behavior. And man, I just keep thinking, I don't want to give a hot take, but I do a little. Oh, please. Come on. Jesus' version of Christian activism is to stay the course. You know, we think, oh, I'm going to boycott this or I'm going to that. You know, like we seize the moment and do something that has heretofore not characterized us, thinking that we're going to convince people of the validity of our cause what if we were people who were so known for integrity that all we did in those times was stay the course? Jesus knew what was coming. Daniel has a pretty good idea. Yeah. And he responds by praying. And I mean, mm-hmm. and that's mm-hmm. what, how many times did Jesus go to a desolate place to pray and go to Gethsemane, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, when he was headed mm-hmm. for the cross? And this isn't about holding up Daniel. This is about... yeah. 
like you said at the top of the episode, this is about God high and lifted up, Jesus mm-hmm. high and lifted up. Mm-hmm. But these stories point to him. And I don't know if you remember, Amanda, last week when we talked with Nancy, we were excited about Daniel interpreting the dream for Nebuchadnezzar. And there were a lot of reasons that that was significant. But one thing we said was that something significant about that is that not only was God revealing to Nebuchadnezzar what he was going to do in the long run, but Daniel, as the interpreter, also got that information. Mm -hmm. Like Daniel also got to hear the words that he spoke as the interpretation of the dream. And Mm -hmm. he had the promise from God that God wins. And so he just gets to walk through this. Not to say that his life is not hard. Cue the lion's den. But he gets to walk with confidence that the Ancient of Days is going to win. His kingdom will last forever. And so Daniel is so allegiant to God's kingdom that he just doesn't get ruffled by the other stuff. And the way that these stories are placed in here in order, like he knows God's kingdom wins. He doesn't know how, right? Right. Like you can't separate the story we're going to hear of him in the lion's den from the story that we just heard about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, um, who say, you know, whatever the outcome, God's going to be glorified. I don't think Daniel goes into the lion's den going, I've been faithful, so God's going to deliver me. And then also even the stories of Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar are laid next to each other. Nebuchadnezzar, who God calls to repentance, and he repents and he's restored. And then Belshazzar, who is struck down, you know? And so we don't know how the kingdom of God will come, but we know it will come. And we just take the forward step of obedience um, and say, I trust him. Yeah, so... And these kings are paying attention. Mm -hmm. I mean, you get the sense that Darius, he's been paying attention. And whereas when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are thrown into the furnace and they're like, oh, yeah, well, let's see your God save you now, essentially. Mm -hmm. This Mm -hmm. time, Darius says in verse 16, the king said to Daniel, may your God whom you continually serve rescue you. Mm -hmm. And even before then, like it said, he had set his mind on rescuing Daniel and Mm -hmm. made every effort until sundown to deliver him. But, you know, the men came and like, you've signed the edict. Mm -hmm. And then, eight, change it. and then 18, then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and he could not sleep. God's after this man's heart. Mm-hmm. It sure seems that way. Mm-hmm. And we've got a pretty strong parallel there to the story of the crucifixion, where yeah. you have Pilate, who says, I can't find anything wrong with this man, tries to he set him like free. feels like his hands are tied. Yeah. Uh-huh, and he can't do it. And yep. And, and then, then the a stone was brought keep and rolling. over the mouth of the den. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Even his word choice, when they're in verse 19, at first sight of dawn, the king got Mm -hmm. up and hurried to the lion's den. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm just picturing people running to the tomb. Mm -hmm. When he reached the den, he cried out in anguish to Daniel. Daniel, listen to this word choice. Servant of the living God, the Mm -hmm. king said. Has your God, whom you continually serve, been able to rescue you from the lions? And Daniel spoke with the king. May the king live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouths, and they haven't harmed me, for I was found innocent before him. And also before you, your majesty, I have not done harm. Mm-hmm. So he starts to sound a whole lot like Christ here. Mm-hmm. He's the innocent one who is wrongly tried, and we're seeing here. I think we think of this as a rescue story, but the way it's presented to us is a resurrection story. 
were to understand that he was yeah. as good as dead. It's like Noah in the ark before this, right? That they're mm-hmm. they're as good as dead. They're buried in the waters of death. Jonah. And then they come yeah. out on the other side. Yeah. And so it's another one of those pictures for us of he goes into the den. Think about the stone is over there. And as far as anyone knows, he got eaten immediately, as we're going to see happens to the unrighteous, right? Mm-hmm. Who are thrown in there. And so we're meant to understand not that his life is preserved so much as he has returned from death to life. I love that. And you're right. There's a real hearkening also to the furnace, because Mm -hmm. remember when the furnace was heated seven times, it was the Mm -hmm. Prince Mm -hmm. Humberdink moment where he got so angry that he made it even hotter than necessary. And the guys who threw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into the furnace burned up because it was so hot. But similarly— the men who plotted against Daniel also were thrown into the lion's den, and they did not survive. Yeah, And think about how much this is echoing the parabolic language that Jesus is going to use in the New Testament, yeah. where he talks about wheat and weeds, you know, and he talks about good fish and bad fish. This is that moment of reckoning where the righteous shine like the sun and the wicked receive judgment. And it's tough. Like, it's hard yes. for us to read because we fail to see God's wrath as an expression of his deep love. Think about this as a parent to a child relationship. Like you love your child and if someone were cruel to your child or violent against your child, your wrath would be justified. Yeah. And so that's what we see here is God's, it is not just his love for Daniel, it is his love for his great name. And that's what can be hard for us to understand because we think that's egotism. But when you actually are the most high God, Mm. it is, again, the only rational way to think of things. It is the most rational statement to say, this is the one to whom all glory belongs. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's sobering. It's tempting in our felt board moments. We're like, woohoo, good guy wins. And and look at that. You know, but Mm -hmm. it's it's sobering because we are the unrighteous. We are not the good guy. And the Old Testament is full of stories like that that are these tough moments of a holy God Mm -hmm. and an unrighteous people. Mm -hmm. And it's one of the reasons that we're so passionate about reading the whole of Scripture, because it's the redemption story. And it wouldn't be the redemption story if we didn't need redeeming. (laughs) Yeah. You know? Yeah. I don't want us to miss a chance to talk about, in Daniel chapter 7, the Ancient of Days and son of man. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and it's Daniel's vision is, is really something. There's a lot going on and it's going to continue. This book is going to continue to make us just kind of scratch our heads a little bit and not. It feels irreverent to use the word weird, but things do get weird. <laughs> it is very, it is very true. But speaking of Jesus, our day 11 reading, which is the primary text is Daniel 7, 1 through 14. It's this vision that culminates in Daniel talking about seeing the Ancient of Days taking his seat and his clothing being white like snow. I mean, there's something important happening here. Oh, yeah. And yeah. I want us to look at it and talk about mm-hmm. it. Yeah. And, and this is the only chapter in the entire Bible that uses that name for God. This is where we get the name Ancient of mm-hmm. Days for God. Nowhere else. Isn't that interesting? I didn't realize that, but I trust you. Yeah, it's true. Well, and then I prefact checked that. Thank you. Yeah. The other phrase that we want to really look at in this reading is son of man, mm-hmm. which, you know, so we get a prophecy about Jesus mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in this chapter, in this reading, which, by the way, if you do have the Daniel study book, 
We won't get into all the ins and outs of it, but you will definitely want to go to page 72 and 3 and look at the Son of Man extra that's in the book where it really kind of helps us connect the dots to the New Testament. Mm-hmm. But the, let's read The of Son this. of Man is the phrase that Jesus in the New Testament most commonly uses to refer to himself, which mm-hmm. is part of the significance here and part of the significance that's kind of outlined in that extra in the study book. But yeah, let's go to Daniel chapter 7. How do we approach this, Jen? Any oh, ideas? This is the easiest thing in the world. Here we go. <laughs> this is a really important chapter, a really important dream because it teaches us some things about prophetic language that we need. So there's this idea that we are supposed to read the Bible literally, but a better way to say that is that we're to read the Bible literately, so according to the way that the author intended it to be understood. Oh, um, and I so, like that a Yeah, lot. so there <laughs> are rules of interpretation. And the hard thing about coming to Daniel chapter 7 is a lot of times we don't come to it with a blank slate you know, we're like, oh, this sounds like Revelation and this movie I saw where, you know, there were, you know, people were getting stuff tattooed on their foreheads. And we get really thrown off by all of the static that is out there from an interpretation standpoint. But that's why it's really, really important for us to come with fresh eyes and say, just what does it say? Like, I can't, this is one of those chapters where more than ever, I want to say, if you just know what it says, Don't worry about what it means or how it should change you, which are really important questions. But if all you got out of the reading plan this month was, I know what that prophecy says, that's going to be a huge win. Because then when you see those images somewhere else, it's really going to help you. Just as we saw like with the dream about the tree, right? If you see it there and you know that a tree means a kingdom, then you understand the story of the garden better and the story of the new heavens and new earth better and the parables that Jesus tells about a mustard seed that grows into a tree. So I think it's important for us to look at this and say, are there some types here? Are there some ways that words are being used that we'll see them used elsewhere? And then how can that maybe be a help to us down the road? Even if in the next 10 or 15 minutes, we still don't get it. Yeah, that's right. That's so encouraging because How often is that the case? And I don't know why it is that we think, and I'm just going to generalize, but I'm talking about myself, that I just think that sometimes in the church we feel like, okay, if I'm going to bother myself to sit down and open the Bible, I should just get it. I should just understand it. And we want to skip. We just want to like fast forward to the application Mm -hmm. of, you know, what does this mean to me? How should I live now? And mm-hmm. those, like you said, those are important questions, but we've got to start with just what does it say? Mm-hmm. And then let's don't fast forward to what does it say about me? What does it say about God? Mm-hmm. And like, where's God in this? And what am I learning about him? And that takes time. Mm-hmm. It just takes time. I think that's such an encouraging. There story. are entire books written about this one chapter in the yeah. Bible. So mm-hmm. to give ourselves permission to not understand is okay. Like, I love, Jen, that you said, just know what it says. Let that be your goal as you read it. Yep. Yeah. Read the whole thing. Don't say, like, this is too hard. I'm going to skip this day. Yeah. Read it. Know what it says. Mm-hmm. So what does it say? Well, mm-hmm. it talks about these beasts coming up out of the sea. So that's easy, right? No big deal. Uh, and it describes them. And you're reading it and you're like, this is, you know, someone had a really bad dinner before they went to sleep this night. <laughs> I actually this, thought that. I was like, was he eating pizza? Yeah. Mm-hmm. At like 11. Yeah. That like mistake yeah. snack yeah. right before bed. And something you can do, you know, is you can try to draw what he sees. I think that's always a good exercise to try to make sure that you're actually paying attention to the detail. That's a great idea. Um, 
And so you have these four beasts and then we see the Ancient of Days and he takes his seat and he's, mm-hmm. we're given a pretty good description of him. And the taking his seat is significant because it means he's there to rule and to judge, right? Mm-hmm. And then the beasts lose their dominion. The dominion is given to one like a son of man, mm-hmm. basically. So I gave you a really quick summary. Yeah, I love it. How the dream goes. Let's read that passage about the Son of Man. So this is Mm -hmm. chapter 7, verse 13. Mm -hmm. I continued watching in the night visions, and suddenly one like a Son of Man was coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was escorted before him. He was given dominion, there's that word again, and glory and a kingdom so that those of every people, nation, and language should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will not be destroyed. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks right? be to God. Yeah. yeah. On an initial reading, you're like, I don't know what's going on here. But I think you guys have in your workbook, you know, these are pretty easily identifiable symbols to the mm-hmm. original audience. They would have recognized these four kingdoms that are being talked about. And basically, you get this grand statement here that there will be these big kingdoms in the world. and They will rule and subdue. And here's the thing. Point it back to Genesis. These kingdoms will make people after their own image. Like they're going to rule and subdue. They're going to be fruitful and multiply. And they're going to fill the earth Mm -hmm. with people who look like them. That is their intent, is to replicate themselves. Yeah. But at the end of the day, the Son of Man is the one who will reign and rule. Which is why it's so significant, this language of the Son of Man, and especially in 13 where it says, And suddenly one like a Son of Man was coming with the clouds of heaven. Anywhere else in the Old Testament, the only one who comes with the clouds of heaven is God. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. like the fact that son of man is another way of saying like someone who was like a human, but Mm -hmm. coming originating from heaven with the power and like initiating that coming from heaven to earth. Like there's some real significance, especially when we're talking about that man will make men and will Mm -hmm. make our kingdoms in the way that we can make sense of them. Mm -hmm. And then alongside the ancient days, we have the son of man, one Mm -hmm. like a man, but coming from heaven Mm -hmm. descends. Yeah. And that's that's so significant. In the kingdoms making people like themselves. I mean, that's what Babylon was doing with Judah. I mean, they were here. I'm bringing the captives. Yeah. Yeah. And we're going to make you like us with the intention of making ourselves great, whether you're here or whether we send you back home. And then you're little ambassadors for our kingdom and you're Mm -hmm. sympathizers for our kingdom. And this is the one in this reading, especially this is the one time where it's Daniel interpreting his own vision. Mm -hmm. Am I right about that? I mean, so far he's been interpreting other visions, other situations, but Mm -hmm. here he is going like, here's my vision, and here's the interpretation of my vision. And we get to chapter 7, verse 15, and he says, As for me, Daniel, my spirit was deeply distressed within me, and the visions in my mind terrified me, which gives me permission to also be over, like, this is Daniel, like, this is Lion's Den Daniel. Like, this is, mm-hmm. like, a guy who has, like, mm-hmm. really seen the hand of God mm-hmm. at work, and he is just overwhelmed by this. Mm-hmm. And so I feel a little bit of permission to also feel overwhelmed by this and to not have to make sense of it. And then in 18, but the holy ones of the Most High will receive the kingdom and possess it forever. Yes, forever and ever. This is what I like. There's a lot that I don't get in this vision or the interpretation of the vision, but I get Mm -hmm. that. I don't know how it's going to happen or how it's all going to play out. Mm -hmm. But in the end, God wins and his people will receive the kingdom. 
Well, and you're pushing on a really important idea because I think the other symptom of the way we've mistreated, perhaps mishandled or misemphasized the Bible or the reading that we do is when we get to application, we're like, what should I do with this? Mm-hmm. And yet these are prophecies that are for the people of God. So yes. the way we talk about it in my Bible study is we say, this is a portion of scripture that was for them and for them. So it was for the original audience and it's for us and for always. It's for the church for all time. So a lot of times when we get to the application piece, I'm like, so what is my big, you know, who's mm-hmm. setting themselves up in opposition to me? And how is this a story to me about how I can submit myself to the one true God? And it's not a terrible way to read it, but it's at best a third level application of what's going on here. This is saying to the family of God that the throne of God endures forever. And so, hey fam, it's going to turn out okay. And we have such an over-individualized sense of what it means to be a human and then what it means to be a Christian that we often miss that. And we feel disappointed sometimes when we're like, wait, it's for us instead of just for me. We should be thrilled. I mean, like one of the things that I think we're going to learn, particularly as, you know, we're in a particularly uncertain time right now, Mm -hmm. is the importance of interrelatedness and connectedness and certainly within the church. Like this is a beautiful word that is spoken to the people of God for all times. And if that were the only application that we took from this, it would be something worth celebrating until the Son of Man does in fact return on the clouds. Yeah, yeah, I love that. So good. So true. Sorry. (laughs) I'm so glad that you did. I'm sad that we have to land the plane, as we say. Here's the thing. I have too many picks for our benediction for this episode because there are so many excellent and supportive secondary readings, like New Testament readings that we really, we were so excited to read the Daniel thread. We only spent a little bit of time in those secondary readings, but they're so, like you said, Jen, like we're reading the Old Testament. We're knowing what it says so that we can be better readers of the New Testament. And Can I I give you one? Yeah, I would love that. No, I mean, honestly, I have like my finger in like three different pages where it's like this one, this one, I can't decide, but I want yours. You guys had really, really good ones in the workbook. This was one. We spent a year in the book of Acts at my church. Yeah. And so I immediately, when I hear this passage, I immediately think of Acts chapter one, where oh, yeah, do it. it says, this is the ascension of Jesus. So starting in verse six, it says, so when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? So what are they asking? They're like, is this it? Where you're going to be it? seated on the throne and rule? And he said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So what's that? That's a tree that's going to fill the earth. And he says, and when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and then listen to this, a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, men of Galilee, Why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. This intentional illusion to say, and think about the reassurance here because it means that the son of man sits bodily at the right hand of God the Father and reigns and rules today. Right now. And in the the same way that they watched him visibly exit, he will return. On the clouds. Praise the Lord. I mean, hallelujah. What a, this is the gospel. Jen, one of our favorite things to do with our guests is just to hear. We obviously love to read Scripture with you. It is a delight to open God's Word with you and just talk to you about it. And so thank you for that. But we also just want to hear a little bit 
about Jen? Like where we've looked at beauty, goodness, and truth in scripture, where Mm -hmm. are you seeing beauty, goodness, and truth around you? We have had just kids in and out of the house. Like we walked into the pandemic quarantine time with young adults for children. And so you can keep small children in one place and tell them (laughs) to, you know, to not go out and mingle. It's a little harder with young adults, right? (laughs) So we had some in college, we had some in grad school, we had some recently graduated. And so just because they're in a transient stage of life in general, we've had them in and out of the house. But a lot of in the house at the same time, in an unexpected time, like where I thought, oh, empty nest. And then, oh, nope, nest is full again. And I feel like the Lord has been just reinforcing for me. I've done a lot of thinking in the last several years about the significance of the church as the family of God, that it's the true and better family. For many of us who had very sad families, biological family stories, or family of origin stories, how the church becomes the true and better family for us, the, the family that we've always wanted or should, that that's to be you know, our hope. We've had a really happy family experience in our home, and we're so grateful for it. But each time we're all together again, I think this is what the church could be like. Mm-hmm. It can be a place of mutual support and a place of strength and a place where you can be yourself without fear of rejection and a place where people help you when you fall down and a place where people celebrate you when you do well. And so just having everybody together and remembering what a treasure it is to be together as a family has made me think with renewed resolve, I want the family of God to be like this. I want my local yeah. church to be like this. I want the church in America to be known for this. You think about what is more countercultural than being the place where we live out what it looks like to be in healthy, God-oriented relationship with one another. If we truly observed the one another's, our witness yeah. would be astonishing. Amen. Lord, Amen. help us. Help us. Yeah, be make that. it be so. Mm-hmm. Amen. All right. Well, Jen, I can't thank you enough for this time and for bravely opening the book of Daniel with us and <laughs> I and helping us, like helping baseline Amanda and helping me understand a little bit more what we're seeing and also just reminding us, know what it says. And I yeah. think like if that has to be your baseline, I think that's a fantastic, important baseline. So thank you for all of your time. Thank you for being such a great guest. It was my joy to get to come on with you guys. When I started going through the workbook, I was just cheering because you're asking people to read and pay attention and look for detail and let the process play out and saying it will be worth it. It will be worth it. And so this was the easiest yes, even though you did give me the hardest passage. <laughs> and I am thinking of ways to retaliate. Oh, sure. Sure, sure. We'll, sure. we'll just have you back. Yeah. And, and how do, yeah, maybe we, we can hit Revelation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let's do oh, what else is you super missed hard. Revelation. Yeah, yeah. Or Leviticus. Let's do there that. There we go. There we go. <laughs> we do maybe have Deuteronomy on there, you know, in the future somewhere. So we'll keep you in mind. Okay, so next week is our third and final week of the Daniel series, and we are going to have Dr. Daniel Hayes joining us, and he is really going to tackle that back half of the book of Daniel with us. I have full confidence. Yes. May the Lord be be with him. May the Lord be with him (laughs) and us. So until next week, Jen, do you know what we say? Keep opening your Bible.